Hi, I'm Lizzie Chernick and I'd like to welcome you to the first PRSB podcast. Across the health and care system, we're trying to standardise the information that's recorded in people's care records so that they can be shared digitally. This will make information easily available for individuals and professionals. In the NHS and social care, we've had a history of using paper records, so there's lots of critical information about a person's care in scanned documents, and it's not always named accurately. These records can often be hard to find, which means there's more risk of errors. The same is also true of digital records. We've just produced a new document naming standard, which is going to make sure that records are properly named and indexed, so they can be easily retrieved. This should make care better and safer for patients, especially in emergencies. Today I'm here with Di Redman, whose son was diagnosed with a brain tumour in his teens. Di, please can you tell us a little bit about your son's diagnosis and some of the information challenges you've faced since? Hello Lizzie. My son was diagnosed um, at the age of 14 with a large basal skull tumour. He had surgery following his diagnosis During the surgery, my son had a brainstem stroke. This resulted in a teenager who was normal, really, to all intents and purposes. One day, coming out from um, his neurosurgery with multiple disabilities. This led to quite a difficult period in our lives. The disabilities he acquired from his surgery were hydrocephalus, found double vision. He lost a large part of his hearing. He was unable to walk and he had a swallowing deficit which also um, affected his vocal cords. So his speech was very weak and poor. So we went to the Manchester Royal Eye Hospital for his uh, double vision. We went to our local district hospital for his deafness to be assessed and hearing aids to be ordered. We went to the regional voice department for his speech therapy. The picture I'm trying to build here is that all those places had separate sets of medical notes. At every place we went to, They knew very little about my son's situation. And as parents, we had to fill them in and tell the story repeated numbers of times. During his recovery period, it was decided that my son needed radiotherapy. And the best area to go for the type of treatment he needed was in Paris. So we went to live in France for a couple of months. This again provided... Um, another number of medical records, it increased again. We attended three hospitals in France. So along with the original seven sets of notes that we had back home in the northwest, we now had another three sets of medical records in France. I soon realised that our family were the only people that knew the whole story. How has this poor information sharing affected his care as an adult? So earlier this year, um, Tom became ill very suddenly, despite the fact that over the last 13 years he'd been really quite stable. It became quite clear to me um, that this was a very serious situation. Um, He was losing control of his um, lower limbs, And 
he was in extreme pain. We took him to the accident and emergency department. He was met in the emergency department by a consultant neurosurgeon who specialised in basal skull tumours. She was extremely concerned at his presentation and asked me details about the operations and treatment that he'd had previously. This was really quite difficult for me as my son was extremely ill and my recall of events over 13 years was not as good as it could have been in a less stressful situation. I knew that I had quite a lot of details on my son's online GP record, which I could access on my phone. The record contains over 250 documents which had come in from all the consultants previously and told quite a good history. And there were in excess of 300 consultations which gave further details. What I hadn't realised until that point, um, as we'd only had that access to that record for four weeks, is that none of those documents or consultations were labelled in any way. They had been scanned in or just marked as attachment or had a date attached. The questions that I'd been asked by the surgeon were about the surgical treatment that he'd had in France. Um, He'd had radiotherapy in Paris, and they have different procedures than the UK. One of the things that they do is they implant metal field markers to denote the radiotherapy field in the skull. And this is a problem in the UK as we don't have that practice. But I think the urgent scanning that he required to assess his condition was delayed because we weren't able to verify the material the metal was made from and how secure they were in the skull. It was a protocol that had to be medically verified. And unfortunately, at that time, I could not remember the name of the surgeon in France and I couldn't remember the name of the hospital because there were three hospitals that took care of him at that time. So I feel like if all of these had been properly named and indexed and in his NHS records, this wouldn't have been an issue for you because you would have had the, the doctors would have had access to all the right information that they needed at the time. Absolutely. And I think that's a very important point to make is that patients do move around, they move for work, even just holidays. If that information is not available, treatment can be delayed. It can seem like something that's um, perhaps a bit of a compliance issue, but actually it has a huge impact on patient safety, um, as is the case with your son. I think that's right. I think one of the problems is that people often don't realise the impact of perhaps not labelling a scanned document. They haven't been in the situation that patients have been in. And while it might be a small thing that 
hasn't been covered in their training or they haven't known what kind of label to attach to that document, it is hugely important for patient care and needs to be addressed. Dyer's story really illustrates some of the challenges with information access in the UK. I'm now going to speak to Professor Ian Carpenter about our new document naming standard and what it means. The naming standard is a way of naming documents in a way that helps you find them again. You can use it for indexing, like a telephone directory or a list of groceries in a store is really useful. Without it, you cannot find what you're looking for. And how do you think it will be beneficial to people receiving care? Well, if you imagine almost anything that you have in healthcare is recorded in in a structure, and if you put a few bits of information together, then that's like a document. So you could regard a piece of a medical note, you could regard a report of an x-ray, an outpatient letter once you've seen your doctor. Any of those things are documents. So wherever you want to find a document... If you identify that document, where it was recorded, what it was about, you have a chance of finding it. If you don't, you won't. The first development of a document naming standard in this country was actually in Scotland. And a group of people there got together and developed this structured way of recording a document because they felt it just made their lives a lot easier. And the result is it's used all across Scotland. It's the sort of subject which is actually a bit boring, Uh, Who's interested in the way a computer identifies a document? So it hasn't really been grabbed with enthusiasm. However, there's a lot going on now in healthcare with trying to connect records from different hospitals, from different departments across healthcare and social care. Uh, And with some of those initiatives, there is now a strong desire to have a way of identifying the document and uh, and being able to trace it. So those, some of those organisations, those enterprises, are actually keen to implement. Another place where I think it will be, imp- people will be keen to implement it is where they're introducing a new computer system in a hospital. Because if you introduce a new computer system without identif- having a way of identifying what the previous one recorded, you've basically had it. And when you consider that a lot of hospitals started scanning medical notes... So they scan a whole note, you then implement a computer system, and you actually can't get a piece of that medical note without getting the whole thing. And if you have someone who's 80, who's been in hospital so many times from a chronic disease, they'll have notes, they may have four sets of notes. So trying to find anything in that is a nightmare. So those sorts of organisations will be very, very keen to implement this standard. So I guess it makes care safer in the sense that you're able to find those records when you need them at the right time. So, for example, in an emergency. Well, typically in an emergency, you could imagine someone being admitted to hospital who's had a heart attack and is found to have a pacemaker, and it may or may not be a pacemaker fault. You would need to know what sort of pacemaker that was, where it was uh, put in, when, when was it last checked, uh, when did it have new batteries, all those sorts of things. And they could have been done in the same hospital, in the same department. They could have been done in a different hospital or a different department or even a different country. So being able to identify information about a pacemaker could be a life or death decision. 
is the kind of the first steps really that we're actually naming the documents. What are the next steps and stages? Well, the first step is giving the document a name and what sort of document it is. And essentially that's what the document naming standard does. In order to make it even more useful, there are other pieces of information which you could well want to know, which I suspect you will want to know, where it was done, when, who produced the document, if it's a letter, who wrote it, um, who it was sent to, all that sort of information. And that will be recorded within the structure of the document. When you read the document, you won't see it, but it's the information that's stored behind it. There is actually a technical name for that, metadata. Uh, but it's stuff that is about the document that's recorded with the document that you don't see. Yeah. But without it, you can't do those things that you want to do. I had a, an MRI head scan because I have a hearing problem. It was done in a private scanning centre. And I remember in the report vaguely, it had something about the lining of my, my nasal passages being hypertrophic, that's thick. Well, it's not something you're paying attention to. But you know, now I'm having problems when I sleep. You know, my nose blocks up. And I think, well, could I get that report back and actually see it? But, you know, I can't remember where it was done. I can't remember when it was done. I can't remember the detail of the information. If I knew, then I'd have a chance of not waking up my wife every night with snoring. <laughs> so thinking back to Di's story, who we spoke to earlier... Um, I think one of the biggest problems seems to be having these large volumes of records all in different places. Absolutely. The sorts of people that die some would have needed would particularly have been physiotherapy, uh, occupational therapists, probably speech therapists, uh, access to MRI scans. All these could have been provided in different hospitals over the years. And I understand Dai's son was actually treated in France as well. Well, that makes it even more complicated and if you have a standard way of naming the document so you can then find it again, it doesn't really matter where anything was, was done or delivered. You should be able to find it, like finding something on the internet. Thanks very much, Ian, for sharing your thoughts on that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>